Tonight we're going to be uh, lamenting over the last lamentation. Uh, we'll be on Lamentation 5, um, which is different from the others uh, in, in, one, in one way and similar in other ways. But uh, it's the fifth one, and we'll get started on that in a few minutes. Uh, shall we pray? Gracious Lord, and we give you thanks for, for all. Father, you are great and wonderful, and you, you give us all that we need in this life. We give you thanks that you care for us and love us. We give you thanks for your Son. Father, gave his life for us so that we could be, once again, your children, have a relationship with you. We give you thanks for your care, over all of our congregation and all our friends, and we ask you to uh, protect them and guide them. Thank you for your love, your care, and your mercy. Guide us this evening as we look into this uh, fifth and final lamentation over the destruction of Jerusalem. We ask your blessing upon us as we, uh, as we learn from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I was saying, Lamentations 5 is, is uh, a little different and somewhat the same. Uh, like uh, 1, 2, and 4, it's 22 verses. Uh, unlike 1, 2, and 4, it's not an acrostic. It's just straight poetry. Um, it um, has a feel that is totally different from everything that has uh, gone before it and um, one source I was looking at that it was a lamentation of a prayer of humility. Um, it's it's different. It recognizes that that uh, God has uh, has destroyed Jerusalem. That is done, and it uh, shows the harshness of the people afterwards and how difficult life was for those that were still left behind. And it ends uh, on a down note, perhaps. Uh, if, if you remember in the introduction that uh, Israel, the people of Israel, the Jews celebrate, uh, that's the wrong word, the, the Jews commemorate uh, as uh, I think it's Tish, no, something of uh, the destruction of the temples, both the the original temple uh, of Solomon and also the, the temple of Herod that was destroyed by the Romans. <clears throat> and uh, the interesting thing is that when it, they recite. On that, on this uh, particular, uh, in this particular particular uh, ceremony, they recite uh, the five lamentations. And for those people who are wondering, uh, Tishbav is the name of the of the of the commemoration. And they make one minor change at the end, 
they repeat the 21st verse, and uh, we'll, we'll get to there in a few minutes, but um, <clears throat> after getting through the 22 verses, they then repeat the 21st verse, which is a call for renewal and a call for restoration. So with that, I'd like to, as I've done with all the others, I'd like to read it. It's very short. <clears throat> So it shouldn't take very much time. Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become fatherless. Our mothers are widows. We must buy the water we drink. Our wood can be had only at a price. Those who pursue us are at our heels. We are weary and find no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our ancestors sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. Slaves rule over us, and there is no one, free, uh, no one to free us from their hands. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword of the desert. Our skin is hot as an oven, feverish from hunger. Women have been violated in Zion and virgins in the towns of Judah. Princes have been hung by their hands. Elders are shown no respect. Young men toil at the millstones, boys stagger under loads of wood. The elders are gone from the city gate. The young men have stopped their music. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we all have sinned because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim for Mount Zion, which lies desolate, with jackals prowling over it. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly, utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. And as I said, it would then be, when it's read, uh, they would repeat the, la the 21st verse. So after saying, are angry with us beyond measure, restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return, renew our days as of old. So the original, uh, the original writing was, leaves you hanging as to what is God going to do. And they prefer to add a, section, a second uh, reading of the 21st verse, which is really one of, of uh, 
a prayer of saying, restore us. There's the first verse and the twenty and the and the end, uh, the first verse and the twentieth uh, verse tend to bookend this lamentation. Remember, O Lord, what has happened to us. Uh, this isn't saying, uh, God, just just think about it in your mind. Uh, can you remember what 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 you just did? When they say remember what's happened to us, it's a call for action from God. Remember us in our pain. Remember us when we've been when we've been uh, forsaken, and it ends in the twentieth verse. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? So first of all, do you have a feel for when this may have been written? We know that the first four were written approximately around the destruction of Jerusalem. Maybe the third one might have been written a little later. Uh, but this one has a final feel to me. And, a, and it's also one of a, a, a feel for restoration. So how, do you, how long do you think, do you get that same feeling? That this isn't written contemporary with the others. But maybe a few years later, they're in captivity. Captivity. For 70 years. So that would be plenty of time to actually think about how life is now. Help them you remember. Do you remember, Lord, what you did? Remember it, please. Remember us. Re remember our agony. Hey, Ted, is, is this written from the point of view of the exiles? Sitting in Babylon, or the people left over in Jerusalem? Well, uh, I would say it's the people left over in Jerusalem, but I'm not sure if it, that it couldn't have been written by the one by the people in Babylon. Remember, thinking about and maybe knowing about what happened and what the people were there in in Jerusalem at the time of its fall. But it's an, an interesting question of how, when, how long was this written? Because I can't, I can't, the language seems to be looking back at what happened. But it begins with the remember. It then goes in Remember what our disgrace was. Anybody ever feel embarrassed or bothered or something happened and just you don't want to you, 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 you just don't really want to admit to it. And so here we have 
have them asking God, please remember and do something about our disgrace. We have been totally disgraced. Uh, hard to remember, hard to think about what it would be like uh, if for 500 plus years you're independent, you're, you have a kingdom, um, and you're God's people, and he's always protecting you, and then you see Israel led away. And then they come down to get you and get turned away, and, and the Assyrians leave. And now the Babylonians' turn is coming. But you you know that you're safe because you're in God's city, and I can see the the flame of God in the temple. We're safe. And then Jeremiah comes along and says, "No, you're not safe. You've sinned. You sinned greatly, and God is going to destroy everything." said that the destruction was so thorough that when they came back to build the temple area and the city walls, they had to move them in because they just they couldn't build over what had been destroyed by the Babylonians. Remember our disgrace. Our inheritance has been taken away. What's their inheritance? Land. Land, okay. Uh, been turned over to, over to strangers. Uh, are what, it was it their inheritance from my father and my grandfather and my grandfather's down, or was it something a little deeper than that? God-given. God-given. Our inheritance was given by you, God, and it's been taken away, and it's now in the hands of strangers. How humili humility, humiliating to think that what God had given you has now been taken away and we're now dispossessed. I've lost everything that we had, everything that God had blessed us with. We've become fatherless. Our mothers are widows. And this is an interesting one in our era. Um, <laughs> we must buy the water we drink. I guess people right now, you know, it's uh, we commonly buy water, but it was available, and now they have to buy it. And I think it's not so much that you go down to the corner market and buy it. I think it, the water we drink comes at a price. The water we drink comes at a price. Oh, and the wood that we need to keep ourselves warm and to cook our food, if we had any, um, comes at a price. So starvation is there. Thirst, 
hunger. Uh, how do you suppose the Babylonians were handling food for the remnant that was there? They have, like when we have a disaster here and people drive in a big truck and they're offloading clean, fresh water and they set up stalls and they're giving away meals for everyone. What would the Babylonians do? Nothing. Oh, they did one thing. They made it dangerous to be out on the street trying to get your food. We find that in the next verse. That it's, um, we, uh, we need to be careful because of the, uh, when we get our bread in verse 9, we get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword of the desert. Uh, I'm assuming that the sword of the desert is the Babylonian army. That would make the most sense to me. Not everyone would agree with that. Uh, who is in Jerusalem now other than uh, the Babylonians? There's still people roaming the streets, trying to find food, trying to find water. Who are they? What kind of people are they? Castaways. People nobody wanted. Castaways. Slaves. What's that? It's, it's mentioned slaves. Those that were slaves rule over them. Yeah. Because they're less than slaves now. They're less than yeah. slaves. Uh, in the deportation, exportation, whatever word you want, when they when they uh, led the people into captivity, it started at the top, right? Okay, the cream of the crop. They were the first, second, the third wave. There wasn't much left over, except for maybe common laborers, and you're the ones that are left after that. And your job is to go till the fields and try to survive. So the people that are left are without anything. They're poor and destitute, the dregs of society. And if we go to 2 Kings uh, 24, verse 14, Gives you a feel for, for what we have here. He carried away all Jerusalem into exile, all the officers and fighting men and all the skilled workers and artisans, a total of 10,000. Only the poorest people were in, of the land were left. So we go on to verse 5. Those who pursue us are at, our, are at our heels. We are weary and find no rest. Is rest meaning getting a chance to lay down at night and sleep? Getting a good night's rest? What did he mean by rest? What would it mean? Can't relax. Can't relax? 
constantly on your guard? Uh, what did God promise them? Deuteronomy 12, verse 10. And numerous other places, by the way. And not only did he promise them uh, rest, but he was uh, also promised them that if he were to withdraw his his favor, that they would not find rest. Uh, Deuteronomy twelve twelve, and there when they when they take the take uh, the land of Canaan, and there rejoice before the Lord your God. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance to their own. And am I reading the right verse? Ten, I think verse ten. Now, ten. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Um, but you will cross, cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. Uh, you will have rest from your enemies. And in this verse, he's saying their enemies are pursuing them at their heels and we are weary and we find no rest from them. God had promised that if they uh, followed him, they would have rest, peace. And now they're finding what it means not to have peace. Verse 6, we submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. And we can look at a whole lot of different meanings for that particular verse. Uh, the one that I tend to lean to is that during these uh, during the the time of the uh, of the two kingdoms, uh, each one of them was making busy making negotiations and pacts and trade agreements with Assyria and with uh, with Egypt. And by doing that, they were able to have some wealth. They were able to have some protection. But I think mostly they were looking at having a couple of bodyguards standing next to them. On Egypt, it was the bodyguard. On Assyria, it was the guy that's threatening to kill you if you don't hand over your, your man. He's the, uh, he's the insurance cat. A collector for the mafia and they made these agreements and then the seventh verse says our ancestors ancestors sinned and are no more and we bear their punishment what was the sin they create they committed Idolatry is a big one. Idolatry is a big one. But this particular sin that they're talking about here with, with uh, making agreements with Assyria and with, with Egypt, 
there our ancestors when they did this they sinned what was their sin they're putting their faith in egypt and assyria not god okay putting their faith in 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 egypt and assyria not god the sin is you're going to go take my kingdom says god my land and you're going to have it protected by idolatrous people. And you're going to turn your back on me. I promised you I'd give you rest. I promised you you would be safe. But you see the bully on the block coming down. And you see the other bully on the other block coming up. And you make agreements with them. To protect yourself. And that's not faith in God. What is that faith in? Who are you, who are you showing you have faith in? Faith in their enemies? Faith that they can buy them off? Faith in themselves because we're smart enough to make these arrangements so that we'll be safe not faith not not enough faith to say like Hezekiah did we'll let God do the fighting for us instead they relied on their own arms and they relied on the powers the major powers around them so that was their sin. And because of this, slaves are going to rule over them. Uh, the, the, the people put in charge of Jerusalem considered themselves as slaves to Nebuchadnezzar and slaves to Babylon. And slaves are now our masters. And instead, what are we? How can you get lower than a slave? Oh, and how is this slave going to treat us? He's here, well away from Babylon, not having to worry about uh, about what uh, what anybody thinks about what he does. And I've got an army to back me up. And so even to get bread enough to eat is dangerous. Remember our remember us, Lord. Remember our disgrace. They've been now moved down to one step below the slaves of Nebuchadnezzar. Our skins are hot as ovens and feverish from hunger. So we're starving still. Uh, you, you, starvation is a major theme throughout Lamentations because that was reality. We have no food, we're starving, we're dying in the streets. We're starving, we're, our skin is 
feverish from hunger. The women have been violated in the streets. Virgin is in the town of Judah. What protections do we have? We're at the mercy. We're at totally at the mercy of the slaves of Nebuchadnezzar to get whatever we need, whatever we want, whatever they want us to have. Are they in verse 7? Because it's an interesting way we, we submitted to Egypt and Syria to get enough bread. Our ancestors sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. Now, are they saying that we didn't deserve this? It was their fault. They did this, we didn't. Is that what, do you think that's what the writer is trying to say? If you read the whole way of the text, I don't really think so. Yeah, I, I agree. If you read the whole lamentation, you don't see this blaming the ancestors for doing something that God was angry at, about and that God caused this great calamity. But I think it's interesting the way they sin and we bear the punishment. In the ESV, it says, and we bear their iniquities. Okay. We bear their sin as well. It's fallen on us. Mm -hmm. We bear their iniquities. Did, think, yeah, Tim? I think that's more of the lament, right? You know, this has been coming for a long time, and, you know, that has fallen on us as well. But it also harkens back to God's promise that, you know, for those who obey me, I will shower love on them to a thousand generations, but for those who don't, then, uh, you know, then they will receive punishment for to the third and fourth generation. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing the fulfillment of that here. Yeah, the, the, the concept of, of punishment, yes, they sin, but we're, we're bearing the brunt of it. I, uh, I don't Agree. I don't think that's what he's trying to say. It's more or less, yeah, we're carrying the same guilt that they are. They're dead and they're not. It's not the problem with them anymore. Yeah, that's right. I, I say that a lot these days, you know. I don't have to worry because I'm not going to be here that long. <laughs> my dad says that all the time, so I'm going to be gone. My poor grandchildren. <laughs> so we find that the... Uh, the punishment's been handed down, and Lord, we have to bear the brunt of it. And they're accepting that they're bearing the brunt of it. Remember, in, in, in reality, and if you look at this, this is a very prayerful lament. There's no bragging, there's no, Lord, punish those, these guys because... They deserve it more than we do. Uh, it's really bearing your heart and saying, 
that and praying to God. And it ends with a rather poignant prayer. So if we go to the another interesting set of verses, the princes have been hung up by their hands and the elders are shown no, no respect. Are the princes alive and are they being tortured? I don't know what Nebuchadnezzar did uh, in the line of torture, but everything I see in the Bible, that when Nebuchadnezzar gathered together the culprits, he had them executed. I think, didn't he? Didn't he take, killed all the guy's son in front of his eyes and then blood then, then blinded him. But that wasn't his torture. That was more or less so the la that in your living in a dark world, all you can do is hear and smell things. You can't see anything. And all you can remember is the death of all your sons and daughters. Some some of the places I know in the past when the enemy was, was vanquished and they killed them, they left them up for display. Yeah, and that's what I think is happening here. That, uh, just just as a warning to you guys, and you walk down the streets and you see your princes being dead, hanging up on a pole, or maybe on the side of a wall or something. But I think that's what he's trying to say. Uh, as much as anything else, that not that you're you're torturing them, because some of some people, some interpretations of this had said, well, they're torturing them, these wealthy people, to fire to find out where all their gold is hidden, all their valuables. Uh, I think they already had them, and I think all they're doing is just uh, after they've executed them, they leave them up for people to see. It was a common practice in in that age. Very common practice. And the Assyrians, I, I think they were brilliant about it. Uh, they, they figured out how to how to win battles without ever fighting, simply by reminding them of what happened to the next town over when they stood up to them. They would rather brutally uh, murder all the elders of the town and they, they, they did a thorough job and they'd walk in and they'd negotiate your surrender first and then to find out whether you were interested in fighting or not. Yeah, same sort of thing with Mussolini. Good, good, good example of it. It's, we're, we're still not necessarily, well, and, and I can't remember is Ceausescu in Romania, same sort of thing happened to him and his wife. Uh, it happened to Mussolini and his mistress. The joy is gone from our hearts, our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head, woe to us, for we have sinned. And we look at Going back to the seventh verse, um, another reason why to say that it, it's not that they were not acknowledging that they'd sinned. It's just that the particular, uh, uh, they were paying that punishment from 
sins in the past as well as their own. Joy is gone from our hearts. Has there ever been a time in your life when things are so bad that there is no hope of joy in your life? You just can't see a way through to it. And I think that's a little bit of what they're saying. I do. I see no way. I see no out. Don? It, this is uh, probably. It, this is not a uh, general, always true sort of thing. But it, I mean, because there's plenty of exceptions to it, that it's illustrated very, uh, very well in uh, Lamentations, and particularly in this chapter, that the. Jewish people and generally the that the older or the uh, that time people did not have as much of a sense of self as we do. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't remember anywhere in that in the fifth chapter of Lamentations where it uses the first person singular. No, never. It's always we, us whatever it's because there's a collective society concept that the, the the people had and i'm sure that there were some good people in jerusalem some people that you know would not have been characterized by the same broad stroke but the way god looked at the Society, the society was not worth saving, mm -hmm. and the um, uh, like I said, there's plenty of exceptions to that. You know, David prayed for himself, and you know, all the, the prophets did. But it's illustrated here a Jewish mindset that we just don't share. We think about it as we're going through this. How many times we say, "I heard," you know. You know, and we're thinking about me as opposed to thinking about <clears throat> the community. Yeah, I think it, it's something that we I uh, didn't I haven't stressed it that much, but these lamentations, as opposed to Job, Job is an individual lamenting. You might say the uh, the pain he's going through, and in lamentations, it's the nation lamenting the pain that they've going going through and have gone through. So the joy has been ripped from their hearts. They just have no hope. There's nothing left. Uh, remember that the people left over are the powerless anyway. These are not people that ever had any power. The biggest power they had was over the loaf of bread that they may have had to eat. They had no power at all, at any time. And so they're, they're, um, they're looking at, the, uh, at, at a situation where all the joy is gone from our hearts. 
any dancing we had is gone. Tim? Yeah, I, I see verses 14 through, I don't know, 18 is almost a, a transition period in this lament that's different from the, makes it different from the others that we've read. That certainly the, the verses that go before that are, are pretty graphic, similar to the, the previous Lamentations that we've we've read, but then starting at verse fourteen, maybe it's just the way I'm reading it, but it seems to be a transitioning away from look how bad this is to you know what I remember the way that it used to be or that it should have been, and it's not that way anymore. And that serves as a transition into, and God is because we left you, we sin, and we recognize that, and we cry out to you uh, for relief from this. And, you know, in the previous Lamentations, I think you've asked, you know, do you see that? And we've only had maybe hints of that, whereas it becomes very explicit at the end of this lament that we recognize that this is on us and all of this that that we are enduring is because we have left you. Any comments on that? It certainly is uh, the uh, you're, you're coming up to the end of, I wouldn't say it, the lament. It is getting towards the end of the lament. But you're going to make a, a, a hard right turn here in just a couple of verses. And this is the final, final ones. Our situation now is totally hopeless. Any joy we had has been stripped from us. Uh, it, and um, I can't remember what psalm it is. One, I can't remember what psalm it is. But the one where the Babylonians uh, asked the, the Jews in Babylon, sing us a song of Jerusalem. And it's, how can we sing a song with our hearts the way it is? There's almost this reminiscence. The elders no longer sit in the city gates. Young men no longer dance and sing. Joy has left our hearts, and our dancing has turned to mourning. It doesn't, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like it's as graphic as it has been. It's almost dreamy-like. It, it, it is, uh, and it, it's saying that Judah or Jerusalem, Israel, however you want to frame it, uh, is no more. The elders are no longer there at the gate. Uh, the young people who would be joyfully singing, running around, you know, kids have a way of, of finding finding good in any in any situation. And they aren't. Uh, even Mount Zion has jackals prowling on it. Now is a, a jackal is similar to a dog, a uh, wild, uh, sort of a, a wild 
canine, but not a not in the dog family. And that is about as unclean as you can find. And they're the ones that inhabit the Lord's temple. Just one more nail. Yeah. I just have a question. Um, verse 13, young men toil at the mouth of boys dagger and the loads of blood. Do you think that's literal? Um, yeah, I think that may be literal, but I think it's, I think what he's really, what they're really trying to say is, um, uh, young men toiling at the millstones, uh, that would have been a woman's work. And that's the best they can do. Uh, yes? They had word carriers. They had water carriers. It was a society. You gotta remember that the rich people were kinda up on a hill and the water was down below. People had to carry the water in town. Now there were some springs and things, but it's not like it was if they're in a famine, they're not gonna have like an abundance of water on up on this hill. Yeah. Are they saying we have it worse than the people that went to Babylon? <coughs> we have it worse, we have it different. Uh -huh. It's different. I mean, we w w some of the divisions of labor are different. I'm talking about the people that stayed. Are oh. they saying we have it worse than the people that were hauled off to Babylon? Um, uh, yes. I mean, some of them went to Babylon and got killed. Right. In, in essence, yes, I think they're saying. We have it. We're worse off than the ones that were dragged off into captivity. Uh, if you remember from Jeremiah, do we have any record of what happened in Babylon? What happened there? Yeah, do we have any record in the Bible? Um, just Daniel, Book of Daniel would certainly give you some feel for for what was what it was like in Babylon. Uh, Ezekiel certainly would, uh, since Ezekiel is sort of the prophet of Babylon or in Babylon uh, as well. Uh, it's not Jerusalem. It's, it's not home. This is not, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a foreigner in my own house, my own land. Because remember Jeremiah, he's saying, listen, tell you what, this is what God is telling me. You build your house, you plant your garden, you marry your children off, and you and you uh, enjoy your grandkids, because you're going to be there for the rest of your life. Now, which one has it has it better? Uh, emotionally, I don't know. Physically, I'd say that the ones in Babylon had it much better. Well, these people are basically saying. We didn't even qualify to get called to Babylon. We're so nervous. yeah, that's right. Well, they they still could have, I think, but but uh, these are the ones. But yeah, they didn't qualify. You know, you know, you're you're not even four F. <laughs> so, and if you read Jeremiah, what was going on? Uh, the fear uh, of of where do we go? What do we do? We're not safe 
here in our own land. Uh, if you remember, they dragged Jeremiah off to Egypt because that's where they could feel safe. Even though God told them, no, do not go. You'll be, I will protect you if you stay. So we come to the, to the turning point in verse 19. And then as he, as he finishes up this, this lament, really with a recognition of God being God. Lord, you reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. You're admitting finally that God is and that he that he uh, is the is the king over you forever and ever. And then comes the bookend of the first verse where he says, Remember what's happened to and see our disgrace. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? It reminds me of a line from uh, Fiddler on the Roof where uh, Tevio says uh, to God, we know you're your chosen people, but could you just choose someone else? <laughs> and this is a cry of both acknowledgement of God Something that they, five years earlier, ten years earlier, whatever, uh, they were not doing. But an acknowledgement that God, indeed, you are the Lord. You are the one true king. But why do you always seem to forget us? Remember us, Lord? In the first verse, why do you forget us and forsake us? But then comes the interesting verse to me. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. What is the writer saying about who restores? Who is restoring them? The people. It's God. Restore us to yourself. Lord, you can bring us back into a right relationship with you. Restore us. Restore us. So that once again, we can be renewed as, as it was in the beginning, in the old days. And then comes the final rather poignant verse, and there's a lot of question as to whether unless is the correct word to use here in verse 22. But 22 basically says, restore, restore us in verse 21, unless... You have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. 
And as I mentioned that when in the Jews, when they, when they uh, have this day of remembrance of the destruction of the temple, go back and repeat the 21st verse. So they say, restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days of old unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. They try to avoid that last rather poignant if. Well, that last, last verse rings of no hope. But 21st verse has hope. I think that last verse really shouts of their recognizing that they now have no hope in themselves. And that the only hope that they can possibly have is God. Unless you have utterly rejected us, restore us. But you are in charge. It's an acknowledgement of God. And I wonder if they had any concept that he would have to restore them because the Messiah is going to have to come 500 plus years later. Yeah. And God does finally restore them, not quite the way they wanted, or the way they would understand it. They wanted it, but I don't think they understand it. So just a, a quick two-minute wrap-up. Uh, these five songs of Lamentations run a gamut of pain and lament. They're, they run the gamut of, of emotions from hopelessness, from, uh, from why God, to we recognize you as, as uh, the Lord that reigns forever. Uh, the personal lament that is found in the third. Uh, yet even in that one, the cry that Jeremiah is making for himself as, a, for, as personal is also, rep, he's representative he, he represents everyone of the Jews. Um, and the cry to uphold uh, Jeremiah's cause, so it was uphold justice. Um, the fourth is a picture of the loss of everything that was precious to you. If you, if you valued it, it was gone. Uh, my age to start thinking about what things are really important that you own. But there are still some things which are just, they're very valuable to you. And the fourth one just looks at having everything that you owned, everything of value, ripped away and stolen. <clears throat> and the fifth one we find, we find uh, the restoration a prayer of restoration. Um, the prayer, the, the emotions, uh, the pain, the suffering, the 
lament that they have is not theirs alone. Everybody goes through that kind of pain and, and uh, sorrow. And God uses pain and suffering uh, to correct us. We're told that, that uh, a good father is going to not allow you to do whatever you want, but when you do wrong, we'll punish you. So we need to see in these laments, first of all, never fall under the wrath of God. It's not a good, not a good thing. Uh, when God is thorough with when God destroys, He is thorough. He doesn't do it halfway. He keeps His promises, and we mourn in our own lives. And we also sin, and have committed sin, and we need to learn to mourn for our for those sins, not to embrace them, but to reject them, and to mourn over the pain that my sins have caused me, and will cause me, and do cause me. And that's the value, I think, in Lamentations, that we see that it's, it's okay to have these horrible, angry outbursts, and why God but just when you get all done with it, pray, please God, restore me. I was wrong. Restore me. So that's all I have for tonight uh, and all I have for Lamentations. And next week we will start a new class. Thank you for being here. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.